even if you're not that interested in technology, you must understand it. Understand it, yes, in order to do great things or to start new businesses or improve your life. But you must also understand it to understand if it can be used against you. Why am I optimistic in this regard? I mean, yes, we've seen tremendous abuses of technology all throughout history. But I think that whenever we look at invention and innovation and entrepreneurship, we do this from a value base that includes respect for human rights, that includes freedom of expression, that includes respect for, for the individual. And I think once we have that as our value base, that makes us good designers. Biologically, we are not that different from the way we were a couple of hundred thousand years ago when our species emerged. But um, the tools we have are dramatically different and the stuff we can accomplish with these tools is beyond mind-blowing. Welcome to Mindburst, a podcast about fighting burnout. Here is Hannes Sjöblad. I'm uh, writing a book on podcasting and I'm not sure it's ever going to come out, but I am writing it. And there's going to be one chapter that's only called chapter 11, don't forget to press record. And then next chapter 12. <laughs> Brilliant. I think that's a very valuable takeaway. I find it somewhat ironic that you actually write a book about podcasting. Now, why in the world uh, would a person commit something like that to paper? That is uh, very true. Well, well, we guess we can write it and then just record it as an audiobook, right? Uh, exactly. You just flip it. I, I believe exactly in that. I think that when we want to communicate the, in these days, you have to be on all the different platforms. You have to use all the different channels because people's behaviors up. are so different. Yeah. And if you are just writing stuff, then you simply lose out on a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, after all, there are a lot of, like Spotify are doing outdoor campaigns now. I mean. Everyone is, is everywhere. Exactly. And I know you're a tech guy. That's, I think is a good description of <laughs> what I do. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. Right. So um, I am, yeah, I consider myself a technologist. I My interest is tech. My hobby is playing with tech. My friends are techies and um, I'm just fascinated by all the tools and toys that we have around us. And my perhaps personal twist on all these things is that I want to try them and I like to try them on myself. So uh, yeah, the, the first thing you said when you came into this room was like, oh, that's a nice rig you have there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I noticed those things, yeah. <laughs> Someone else would have commented on your sense of fashion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I missed that. <laughs> So what is technology? If you just mm. bring it back to the basics here. Technology is what makes us human. Technology is what sets us apart from from animals. It's when we started using technology, that's when we became humans, when we started using stone tools, fire, clothes, and language to communicate. That's what sets us apart from the other um, primates around us. And since we started doing that, the journey of mankind has taken a very interesting trajectory because ultimately, biologically, we are not that different from the way we were a couple of hundred thousand years ago when our species emerged. But um, the tools we have are dramatically different and the stuff we can accomplish with these tools is beyond mind-blowing. And we live in a time where 
stuff that used to be super expensive now cost pretty much nothing. And we have put these tools in the hands of so many more people, which is for me the signifying feature of our times. It's a democratization of extremely powerful technologies. Yeah, and it's, uh, there's uh, something basic about how like civilization is uh, uh, evolving. Like if you think about the the basic like th- the basic input in your body, like the the, the visual uh, signals that come into your brain, mm. and then you apply a model to that signal to say that okay, this is this is light and that is dark. Another model is saying like next layer is saying this is color, this is this color. Another layer, another layer, and eventually you can say that's Walter sitting over there. Yeah, that's a microphone. So you kind of make more and more complex abstractions that you can use as chunks of information that mean something. And you can add even one more layer on top of that's Walter sitting there. That's Walter sitting there discussing Socrates. Right. right. So there's a, a, a to what for other beings would be an incomprehensible level of understanding which is the thoughts in Walter's head can also be captured. Right, and mm. we've modeled that in our computers now which is kind of mm. cool mm. from mm. you know machine language and mm. all the way up to the most complex uh, you know high level languages. Uh, the problem I think for us humans is that when we do when we trust those models mm. to to do uh, to lead us in the right direction uh, and the model happens to be wrong for some mm. reason and then you can end up in a place of stress or something else. That is also true for technology, I, you know, I imagine. Yeah, technology is far from perfect, but my perspective, I mean, it's, it's a, of course, a valid criticism of technology that yeah, it doesn't always work and may lead us in the very wrong direction. My perspective on this is that, well, is the, the other st- way we're doing stuff, is that actually better when people say, uh, I don't want an AI as my doctor because who knows, it might misunderstand. But human doctors also make a lot of mistakes. Human drivers make a lot of mistakes. They kill hundreds of thousands of people every year on our streets. Yeah, what if we have the, an article about that? Like we, every, te- yeah. every Tesla that malfunctions. But we, exactly. But we kind of accept that, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, well, it's always been like that. People die from human error. And I question that as a, you know, optimistic technologist. We can change that. We can make those things go away completely. And if we apply technology in a conscious fashion and also with with a view that we can actually do these improvements, we have the potential uh, with these tools to make that improvement. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see like how, because you see that people blaming technology for all kinds of things, as you Mm. say. Uh, and now the latest thing is that we're getting so stressed out by all the social media stuff that's going on, and and there's some valid uh, points there. Absolutely, for sure. Uh, but in defense of technology, I would say that we were quite stressed out probably in the 1600s as well. Yeah, when you know the Thirty Years' War was a pretty stressful <laughs> time to to live in Europe. People were killed, and there were famine and disease, and most of your kids died. Uh, it was a pretty terrible and stressful time. But yeah, I know my device is also keeping me awake longer than what is perhaps healthy for me uh, in the evenings. Yeah. yeah. So what, what do you think is the... Because in a way, I can sometimes think that these are like the early stages, the early mm. times, mm. you know. And, and of course, the, you know, we have these feeds that are kind of 
stressing us out, but that's because it's an early version. You know, they will improve because we adapt and mm. and the technology adapts. You know, that's part of our adaption. Mm. Uh, is how how do you feel about uh, the criticism that technology is stressing us out? What do you think we can do about that? I think it's a valid observation. Uh, we see that uh, the um, I mean, it's been a dramatic growth in. Uh, mental uh, unwellness, especially among young people, which interestingly coincides quite powerfully with the introduction of the smartphone about 10 years ago. So, yeah, mm, there are some things that may not be healthy for us in this, uh, how we use this technology today. But I also think that we, if we just look at technology with open eyes, we... With a critical perspective, with an understanding of technology, can be used for both good and bad purposes. Uh, it's it will simply be a dialectic development. That yes, now the pendulum has swung that way, then it will swing back. To give you a, a case in point, I think ten uh, years ago, a lot of companies were started based on uh, data harvesting business models. Facebook being perhaps the ultimate one. Um, the the very business idea is to collect user data, package it, sell it, use it for advertising, and um, then what happened was that you know after a decade the pendulum swung in the other direction and said yeah we got all this privacy legislation and suddenly we have a very different way of dealing with people's data and what then happens is that these companies that were founded ten years ago. Uh, they, since they have it in their DNA, in every business process, in every KPI, they have this idea of collecting data. They really struggle to adapt to the new uh, playing field. And a startup which uses, for example, data privacy by design in their systems can be a lot more agile in this new environment. So I think that there is a, a constant improvement and, I mean, evaluation, re-evaluation of new technologies. And why am I optimistic in this regard? I mean, yes, we've seen s- s- tremendous abuses of technology all throughout history, but I think that at least for those of us who live in Western Europe and in the developed democratic parts of the world, whenever we look at invention and innovation and entrepreneurship, we do this from a value base that includes respect for human rights, that includes freedom of expression, that includes... Um, respect for for the individual. And I think once we have that as our value base, that makes us good designers. Now, what really worries me are when, for example, authoritarian states apply all these powerful technologies for surveillance, like we uh, can see, for example, in China, but it's being copied in a lot of different countries where the government now potentially has spyware on hundreds of millions of people's phones and you know then the technology can really be abused a lot against the interests of, of the little person right because technology ultimately is a type of a type of empowerment of mm. somebody and whatever interest that entity has will be empowered you mm. know yes for good or for bad it's a massive leverage and which is in my view also what i try to preach is that even if you're not that interested in technology you must understand it understand it yes in order to do great things or to start new businesses or improve your life but you must also understand it to understand if it can be used against you and that for me is the basic tech literacy that everyone must have today 
what does it mean when you click yes in the terms and conditions of a you know an, an, an online service or what does it mean when you do a DNA test and store your data somewhere else can this data can this technology be used against you in some way yeah, and the answer obviously is uh, of course, mm. because it's an empowerment uh, mm. of someone. Of mm. someone. Mm. Um, but but uh, there are a thousand things I would like to talk to you about now, mm. like the terms and conditions and the DNA and all that. Mm. Uh, we don't have that time in this particular episode. Mm. I will probably love to bring you back for mm. another one. But uh, just to kind of look at you, how did you how did you get into this? Are you uh, did you always work with technology in this way? I always had a great interest for technology and for sci-fi. I mean, I think I'm not particularly unusual in that way. I grew up in a world where sci-fi movies, computer games were just the world in which we operated, right? I mean, for me, a cyborg is a perfectly normal thing. I've met thousands of cyborgs in in games and movies and books, and, and the concept is in no way alien for me. So now... When after a you know a professional career, I actively explore the features of becoming a cyborg myself or helping others achieve that goal. Um, I think what I'm doing is a perfectly normal activity. I'm just you know making gestaltung of these concepts that we already have. Yeah, and I, I mean, there are, there's a pretty powerful argument that we already are cy- cyborgs given the mm. amount of time we spend on our yeah. smartphone. <laughs> the exobrain, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that, that, that is, uh, but it's always been part of, you know, what you've loved to do. It's, it's yeah, it's normal. <laughs> and, and given that, I mean, so health is obviously important to everybody, mm. you included. Mm. How do you use technology to mm. uh, benefit your health, both mentally and, and physically? I do a lot of stuff. Um, I am doing regular blood samples. I've done a bunch of genetic tests to understand why my blood samples are the way they are, why my exercise habits are the way they are. Um, I keep a um, well-thought-out food regime. Um, I use a bunch of different wearables to log my activities, to measure my sleep patterns, um, exercise patterns, etc. So I think I I try to log and understand a lot of my own behaviors and I do experiments on top of them. Um, I also work actively with exploring new technologies for this. For example, health measuring chip implants is is an exciting project I'm involved in at the moment. Um, so, yeah, those are a few things that I do. Yeah, and uh, how do you see... Given that, in, in I, I think your mind is probably ten years ahead of uh, mine. <laughs> Where do you see the world being in ten years in in this regard? In terms of health, uh, yeah. or digital, the oh, digitalization well, of health, yeah, both, I guess. Here, here's what I think. I think that today you can run a company, especially if it's a digital business, with an awesome data insight. You can have a dashboard that gives you, you know, the exact traffic on your website. The in your inventory, how the turnover is, where, where your customers are going, why they're going somewhere, where they're coming from, mm, you know, your, your cash flows, your how many people are active in your company, exactly where. But we don't have such a system to understand what's going on in the human body. I mean, that is not an acceptable state of affairs, <laughs> to be frank, we, because we have the technologies to do so. And 
I think a lot of us, we can, we, I mean, you and I, we could be dying from something, right? We could have some terrible disease right now ravaging our bodies. We wouldn't know unless we did all these kind of tests. We went to hospital, booked a time, sat there, overall had, you know, a, a non pleasurable experience <laughs> somewhere. And uh, there must be a lot of easier ways for us to get this kind of real-time, anytime, anywhere understanding of what's going on in our bodies. And that, in my view, is about to change in the coming decade. I think we will have dashboards that can give us real-time insights into what is happening in our body systems. For example, maybe I suffer from stomach problems. And I know everyone has this from time to time. You think, okay, was that something I ate? But then... Once you get kind of a data feed of that, okay, I see. So I had stomach problems on these four dates. What did I have the day before? And you can actually understand, aha, broccoli is actually a problem for me. And it will give you a completely different level of insight because it, you will have data-driven decision-making. The current system we have for understanding our human bodies, nerves, feelings, they're kind of good. They've taken us this far but it doesn't really work, right? I mean, I have, I feel tired today. It could be a million things. What's the data? Right. So, yeah, that's an interesting way. That would be an interesting USP for restaurants, for example. If you'd never ate at home, always ate at restaurants, and the restaurants always, not because they can do this, obviously, tracked exactly what you what was in your dish. Mm. They have to do that anyway for allergies and stuff. Mm. But if that went into your uh, you know, you swipe your card, and that mm. data ends up. Uh, you know, like like a lot of the payment companies have that they have the exact things you've bought. Mm. You could have exact ingredients in your food, for example. That would be an excellent way to get people to eat out more, <laughs> in a way, right? Absolutely, for because example. or I don't know, delivery of designed foodstuffs to your home or whatever. Right. So you would simply know what works for you, and you would be, it would be a lot easier to detect if you were doing something which was not healthy for you. Right. Um, so. This is, uh, I think, a positive revolution that I expect to happen in the coming decade. And also, my view is that our kids are going to ask us, you know, when they grow up, mom and dad, how did people survive back then without this system, right? And we'll tell them, tell you what, darling, people died back then. <laughs> it was a shitty time. <laughs> like you and I, when we think of the time yeah. 100 years ago when people died of influenza or tuberculosis, was a shitty time. I'm happy to be alive today. But you know what? I'll be even happier yeah. to be alive tomorrow. Yeah, people had all kinds of stuff like cancers and heart disease. and you know, Yeah, and they died terrible. in drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and they ex That's, people accepted it. Yeah. They thought it was normal. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? What a fucked up time. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's uh, that's where we're going to. I, I hope so. Mm. You know, I, mm. and I can definitely see. Well, hope and hope. I mean, mm. we can create our own future, right? I think we are. Yeah, mm. and uh, you know, that's 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 inspired. Are you also involved in in companies doing these things? Uh, or are you more an advisor or a lecturer or what? No, what is I, I, I'm involved in a couple of companies that actively work with human augmentation technologies. We we talk about human augmentation tech as typically. Mm, I mean, when you when you put in a pacemaker in a person, is to restore a function that is not working in the or original sort of meat-based body, or if you lose an arm, you get a nice arm prosthetic or whatever. But human augmentation tech is about augmenting above baseline the f 
functions of the body, such as, for example, giving ourselves the, a dashboard that shows us w what is actually happening in our metabolic system or in our intestine or in our heart. And I think that those technologies are absolutely fascinating in terms of what we can do to improve the human condition. Yeah. Are you also lecturing at uh, MindBurst? Yeah, I'll be uh, joining MindBurst and share my thoughts and insights about um, human augmentation, how we can improve the human condition through technology. Right, because we see MindBurst is about burnout generally, mainly and uh, about how people um, somehow end up in a place uh, in an increase to an increasing degree where they, they can't manage the pressures mm. uh, of life. How do you see technology being part of A, the problem, and B, the solution? Technology is absolutely fundamental in both these dimensions. Just as we touched upon earlier, technology is causing us stress. Um, it's in multiple dimensions. But I think that the real improvement is through a more conscious application of technology. Just like we've learned that we can't just drive cars everywhere. You know, in the early days, people did that. Then we just said that, oh, maybe we should have traffic lights. And over time, we developed all these things like seat belts or anti-lock brakes and whatnot to actually make cars more safe and adopted to society, the rest of society. I think the same will happen to digital communication technologies and that will over time improve this for us. Then we can talk about the um, solution side of things. Yeah. And um, I mean, then of course we have some very, very powerful technologies which we can evaluate the application of. I mean, what can we do in terms of human genetics or you know, neural interfaces to provide information or input or understanding in, in novel ways that doesn't trigger these hormonal stress responses that we typically get from these visual media inputs that, that we are so used to in our current day and age. Right, because most things are going in through our eyes now, right? Yeah, it's and our primary sense. And uh, I, I, f I see that screen fatigue is being discussed increasingly everywhere and, mm. and uh, sound is, is uh, you know, I guess the obvious uh, number one, A, A1 solution to that. Mm. Um, but then we have all the other senses coming, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, how you mean the other uh, yeah. fifteen or so senses? Well, uh, senses, or uh, are we going past senses straight to the processor, so to mm -hmm. speak? Mm -hmm. uh, the what's it called? BCU is that the term? Am I? Am I? There are. I mean, brain-computer interfaces yeah. is a, a fascinating, but I believe far from um, useful technology at present. Yeah. There is a good analogy for this that I picked up uh, at Epicenter by, uh, from a great speaker we had. Uh, he, he described the human brain has about as many neurons as there are trees in Sweden. It's a lot of trees in Sweden. It's a yeah. big country with a lot of trees. I was thinking if that means a lot or a little, but yeah, no, I it, guess it means a there's, lot. there's yeah. a lot of trees. <laughs> yeah. And then he said, imagine that all of these trees have leaves uh, or needles, but Principally, these, all the leaves represent all the connections, the synapses that these nerve cells have with other nerve cells. So that's the human brain in terms of orders of magnitude of complexity. Then the best technology we have for brain-human interfaces today is like a toothbrush. Right. Right. So how would you communicate with, how would you understand the forest in Sweden with a toothbrush? It's just 
not feasible. And yeah, maybe we can make like the toothbrush 10 times as large yeah. <laughs> or 100 times as large. Yeah. It still wouldn't matter. Right. I mean, the, we need several orders of magnitude of finer granularity of understanding of how the human brain works before we can even approach useful human uh, brain computer interfaces in my view. Right. So until that time we we're, we're stuck with eyes, ears, we're touch. stuck with our classic senses, yeah. but we can structure the information in them in in new and more useful ways that especially that doesn't trigger the stress hormonal stress responses that we so often get. Right. And also I mean it's unloading. I, I there, there's been other technologies before um silicon based ones. Mm. Uh like uh, if you if you look at for example um, getting things done for example that's one of the one example uh, of a technology that is, is, is a way of working where you unload things off the brain so you can just process a couple of things mm. at the time uh, and uh, obviously there are technologies you know implementing that particular uh, methodology but are there any other technologies that you think feel are actually very good today that are good at unloading things off the mind i have to admit that i mostly struggle with I mean, my my problem has always been the that I don't get enough input. Yeah, so it's sort of what I'm trying to to address that I, d- I don't have enough productive hours. I don't have enough time to read. I don't have enough time to pick up information. Maybe I haven't to the same extent experienced this this need to uh, to rinse and clean and 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 relax that I know uh, many others struggle with so I, I i'm struggling to come up with a, a good suggestion um, for these things uh, but it wouldn't be out of my own experience but yeah i mean going off screen works for some going doing yoga and i mean overall why are we stressed it's hormones right so and we trigger the stress hormones and the reward systems in the brain way too often and that's what tires us out but we are also very different so some people have a significant stress response. Some have a very limited stress response. My view on addressing this sort of with a, in a more disruptive way would be to pharmaceutically or even sort of genetically make interventions into this. What if you can, you know, turn down the tuner of your uh, hypothalamus in your brain and, you know, reduce the the activity of, of, of releasing of for example, uh, reward hormones. Right. Mean, would perhaps that make your external activities, you would experience them quite differently, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah exactly. Changing the way the receptors work or... Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's uh, It's a bit more rad than yeah. <laughs> yoga or mindfulness, which is kind of... I'm more fascinated in these yeah. things that can do a hundred times changing stuff, not, you know, a little bit better stuff. Yeah, the tech leaps. Mm, mm, mm. Well, that and much more <laughs> when you listen to you at Mindburst, right? Would be my pleasure. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing you there. And uh, I'm also very grateful that you took the time to come down and, and talk to me for a, for a while here. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to speaking again and seeing you all in uh, March. Thank you so much. Take Cheers. care. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening. For tickets to the event and more information about Mindburst, 
visit mindburst.se.